We believe that the presence of the Lord can be near to you. That he's, he is very present. Sometimes you may not feel that, perceive that, or maybe you think God's a, a long way off. But we believe in the nearness of the presence of the Lord. And for me, sometimes I don't sense that, and it's because of me. He hasn't moved. I moved. And I got distracted by all the things that have been preoccupying my life. It's good, good, thanks. I don't know if you ever heard of this phrase, aging in place. Any of you heard of that before? It's basically where churches, um, instead of inviting youth and young people, they age in place. So before you know it, the church is all people that are over 60. Have you seen that? Well, it's happening here quicker than we realize because this, this is, uh, you might not recognize this person, but um, the aging process is happening very quickly here. Let's move on to the next slide there. This is our youth, actually. They all dressed up to be senior citizens this last week. And the two in the middle were hysterical, but they're all great. Um, they, uh, they got a foretaste of the future. So one last one in there. I think they're warning us there. I don't know what the deal is there. Like this could happen to you or I don't know what it is. But it's, it's just what's going on in our youth and we're having a blast with it. Thank you guys for doing that. I thought, well then, if the youth are dressing like, uh, like older people, then we should all... What do you think? No. Not so much. Yeah. The focus we're uh, going to be talking about for a while is out of the book of Colossians. We're just going to go through the book of the Colossians. The book of Colossians is about Jesus being enough. The all-sufficiency of Christ. And the title I've given it is Reimagining Our Life Through the Message to Colossae. Reimagining Our Life. What I mean by that is that our life is constantly going through change, correct? And, and when we're young, things are changing and we have to kind of reimagine our life in first grade, third grade, fourth grade, getting married, having a job. You have to constantly enlarge how you see your life, correct? And even as we get older, some of us think, is Jesus enough for this age? Is Jesus enough for this time? Is Jesus enough here? Because it seems great when, you know, you're young and you're energetic and the life is awesome and is the Lord adequate enough? Is he enough for out there? Maybe uh, some of you have seen signs that look a little smaller than this, just like this. And they say, hello, my name is. I'll put mine on there. So this basically introduces the person to someone else with, you know, no verbal communication. Hello, my name is. But this, this says, my name, Fred, and is this really who I am? Is this who, I'm, who I am, just my name? You know, it used to be people would name their children and it meant something. They, they would have, um, they would say, well, let's find a good meaning. But now they just go kind of like how it sounds. My parents were very creative. They just decided to name me after my dad. So that's the end of that. In fact, the, uh, both my brother and I have the same middle name, Robert. And all my sisters had the same middle name, Lenore. They're just not very creative people, but they loved us. <laughs> this does not really describe who I'm at, I am. There's so much more behind the name. And even as your faces come in here and I see your glowing faces, behind those faces is lots of history. 
Lots of people that you've known. Lots of encounters. Lots of experience. Lots of things that you've gone through. Correct? And the name doesn't really depict who you are. The wonderful thing about the book of Colossae or Colossians to the uh, city of Colossae is Paul is telling people who they really are. Because it's very easy to forget not the name, you know who you are, but who you really are. This week I posted on Facebook, can you tell me where I am at? And you know where I'm at. And some people responded. One of my friends says, Fred, if you don't know where you're at, <laughs> what, what about the rest of us? Colossians is reimagining our lives at every time and every age. The big idea is that Christ is sufficient for all of our needs. It was written over 1,900 years ago, and the city of Colossae wasn't so much different than, than our city. The city of Colossae also had a larger city nearby that was bigger and had more industry and more people and more power and some people thought more importance. Like Colossae, they were located on a body of water as we are, a river, we're on the Puget Sound. Like Colossae, there were a lot of different thoughts and religions and confusion about what should happen in people's lives. Like the early Christians, there are things that would compete for their attention. People would get distracted and confused and when they get off track, they needed help. The most important thing about this city was actually a, a man who came to know Jesus named Epaphras. Epaphras, there you go. And he became a Jesus follower and started a church. That was the most important thing about the city. He started something fresh there. Paul was doing his best to do two things to help this church to stay on track. To encourage them and to warn them. We all need encouragement. Nobody likes critics, right? My, your, what's your first response when you see someone who definitely has a deficit in their life? Paul's first response was encouragement. We all like to be encouraged. But he loved them enough also to warn them. If I was going in the wrong direction, doing something very unhealthy in my body or in my life, and everybody just encouraged me, would they love me? They warned them. If you had a child who was doing something dangerous, would you just encourage them? You would warn them. So Paul does his best to both encourage and warn them. He's in prison. Talk about a place that you can be discouraged. He was in prison. And he, lets, he writes a letter because the man who was the pastor of the church gave them some disturbing news. They had come to know their faith in Jesus, but there were other faiths, other non-Christian ideas that were poisoning their mind about what God wanted to, to be and to do. People heard and believed in Jesus, but they were also listening to other voices, other people telling them things. This happens for us on a subconscious level. We could say we believe in Jesus. We can say we're hopeful for the future. But subconsciously, other things creep in, don't they? Other ways of thinking either you get from the world or your mental loop. I was talking to uh, Don before church today, and he was greeting over at this door. And we were remarking about how quickly negative, neg negativity spreads. I don't know if you've ever worked in an office before where people get together in the lunchroom and they just complain. When I, uh, my first degree was in teaching and one of the th first things that I was told, Kevin, as a teacher is don't go into the teacher's lounge. 
And the reason why you had these veteran teachers that had been around and they would gossip about all the other students and it would poison your mind for the students there. Have you ever heard that, Edie, before? Yeah. Yeah. So it's really true because it's, this negativity creeps in to, to people's thinking to such a point that it can actually stall people in their faith in Jesus. Reimagining our lives. I wonder how many young men imagined themselves as the hero of the stories they heard when they were little. I wonder how many young women thought of themselves in the starring role of what they saw on the screen or read in a book someday. And they started to live that way and thought, oh, wouldn't it be great to live that way? But then the reality hits the fantasy. Did you ever see the commercial? It was a long time ago, but it's very humorous. There's, it's, a, it's on a beautiful beach, and two lovers are walking and running slowly toward each other. And, and you can tell they're in love. The, the woman's hair is flowing in the breeze, and the, the man's eyes are glimmering and excited to see his, 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 you know, his lover, and she was excited, and they smack into each other and fall on the ground. <laughs> So I thought that was funny, but I have a sick sense of humor. It's like that sometimes. We, people imagine their lives some way. And then smack, something happens and it's just not the way they had imagined it. It's not what, and for Christians, it's not what God has in store for you. Paul faced the problems of the church squarely. He didn't hesitate. He went right and he said, this, we must address this issue in our church. He begins, though, in a place that many of us don't begin when we think about how do you handle issues? How do you, how do you handle it when you do get sidetracked? He begins with prayer. He begins in Colossians verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. And the first thing we're going to talk about is Reimagining our life by remembering our faith. In just a while, we're going to have communion together. And it's a way for us to reimagine our lives by remembering our faith. And he calls their attention. He says, listen, guys, I always pray for you. We always pray for you. Colossians chapter verse 3. And we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This beautiful song that we just sang is a song that talks about that, that prayer and the, the Holy Spirit is the atmosphere that we live and we can breathe in. It's, prayer is not just something we do. It's something we enter into. It's not effort we make to push to get things from God. It's as if God's already working and we just step into that place where God is. It takes all of the pressure off us to try to make something happen. Do you ever say to yourself, I need to pray more. I need to pray harder. Would you pray harder? Like if you pray harder, that some God, God will really listen now because <laughs> you're serious. But for me, sometimes that is counter to really a, a healthy way to enter into God's presence because it sounds like I'm I have to take all the effort to make it happen instead of I'm excited to be in his presence and it's so joyful here and, and God's good and he's blessing me and I enter into this place that I want to be in. I would suggest to you that when prayer becomes effort, you're just not going to do it. It becomes a job or a to-do list. You, who wants to do that? But if you think of prayer as a place where you're going to meet your creator, it's a, it's a welcoming environment 
It's, it's an atmosphere that you live and you breathe in. I think you're sh- it would shift you. And I think Paul's trying to set them up to say, listen, I always pray for you. This week I've been praying for you. I'm, pr- I'm praying for you the same prayers that Paul prayed for the city of Colossae. Three prayers. The first one was to reimagine our, faith, our, our lives by looking again at our faith. Jesus said, I'm the door. Interesting. Jesus said, I'm the door. When you put your faith in Jesus, he's the door. What is he the door to? He said, listen, he compares himself to a shepherd. He says, I'm the door. If any person uh, will enter in, they will be saved and they will go in and find pasture. Well, what did he mean by that? Pasture was the place of God's blessing and God's riches. It was the place that there was plenty it was enough. It wasn't just like, you know, my grass now is t- starting to turn brown because I refuse to, war- to water it. Because then you just have to mow it again. Um, the thing about it is that you're entering into a luscious place, a, a place of abundance, a place where-, where God wants to give you great gifts from himself. I am the door. It's an entry into a rich place. The- Paul also said, in Christ, we live and we move and we have our being. Could we, could we imagine ourselves that that's the way our lives are? In Christ, I live and move and have my bring, being. It's not so much Christ is out there as some object that I'm pursuing, but he's here and I'm living in this realm where he abides and he lives and it's vibrant and things happen. I'd like you to think about that. In Christ, you live and move and you actually, and you have your being. It's a atmosphere that follows you. It's a presence that's with you. Paul prays. He says he's thankful for what God's doing in the church. He could have complained, but he thanked the people for their faith. He's thankful for the environment where God was already working. He says, we praise for you always and we thank, give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when you begin with thanksgiving, everything else changes. When you begin with complaining, nothing changes. When you start to appreciate what you do have, then you'll see more of what God wants to do in your life. When you begin to praise God, because it's so easy to count um, all the things that we'd like to see change that we don't like, right? You have your list. But there's an old, old song. It says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. It totally shifts the atmosphere that you live in when you think about, I'm beginning to be thankful for what I do have and God forgive me for complaining for what I don't have. Now, I don't think Paul would be talking about um, that we ignore problems. You know people like that. They're just, everything's always happy, but they never address their problems. Paul not only encouraged them, he also warned them. He goes on to say, for we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all people. Interesting. We've heard of your love for all people and we've heard of your faith. Prayer is also not just a wish. It's a declaration. He's declaring something about them that he's already heard. He saw some bright spots in their lives and he begins to encourage them and said, you have a faith that's known and you have a faith that shows up in your love for other people. It's like Your faith shows up in you, a vibrant faith, something that God does in you. It's very personal, but it's not just private. 
It's also between us. Faith is, I, he says, I, I thank God for your faith. Then he also says, I thank for your, your love that I've heard uh, for, with you, uh, heard about. So when I think about my faith and my relationship with Jesus, it's not just me and him, it's me and you. It's between us. And Penny's a wonderful person. Can I pick on you? Okay. <laughs> now imagine that um, Penny had said something, you know, offensive to me about what, I, what was going on. And, you know, she didn't like something. She complained to me. Now I can ab- approach her and, and try to come right back against that complaint with some more negativity. Or I could see something else. She's a believer. I'm a believer. Wait a minute. There's something between us, and it's not that. It's Jesus. What links her and I is our relationship with Jesus. Because of that, I can love her and she can love me. And hey, we can get over the little stuff, right? Because yes. whether you like, when you get close enough to people, they irritate you. Well, maybe not all of you, but some of you that <laughs> irritate you from time to time. And here's where Paul realigns them. He says, listen, you're new people in Christ. You, if you really want to engage people who are Jesus followers, look at the faith that's also between you. Yes. You have something awesome in common. Yeah, you got a lot of differences. Yeah, you're imperfect. But not only do you have a faith here in you, you have a faith between you. And that's what I think Paul saw. He could have complained about the problems in, the, in Colossae. He could have complained about the family there, so to speak. Because there were some issues going on. But instead, he starts to affirm what they already are. He knows there's something between them. I've heard of your faith and your love that's spread everywhere. It's always a great place to start when you have a conversation with anyone. Then he goes on to say, which comes from your confident hope of which God has reserved for heaven in you. And you've had this expectation ever since you heard of the truth of the good news. Why hope? Why does Paul talk about hope? In a place where it's confused and confusing uh, city, why hope? Do you sometimes get confused and are, it seems to, buy, to be a confusing culture that we're in? You might ask yourself, Where do I fit in in this changing culture? Where do I fit in with everything that's going, seems to be going crazy? Where is my identity in the middle of that? Paul says hope. He says there's a great hope that you have. The hope raises your sights above the way we normally every day live. In reduced circumstances, it's easy to slip into scarcity thinking. All of us have had reduced circumstances from time to time. Our budgets crunch. Our health shrinks. Our relationships. We've all had some of that. Our lifespan. But with Jesus, we always have enough for every age, every place. It's always enough. And scarcity thinking can creep into my thinking also. Boy, we don't have enough. What are we going to do? I only look at what I have. I forget about what I have. Do you understand what I just said? I think about what I have, and I can't think about what I have. So when I was talking to Ralph and others in our church, and I said, man, we sure need these things being done around here. 
And then, I, and then it clicked. He said, wait a minute, you're just looking at what you have. You need to believe, if this is what we need, that Christ is enough. Because this is how we started the church. Some of you don't know that. We kept saying, we, we always have enough. Christ is enough. And we kept believing that. And we're going to continue to believe that we have enough for our need. And for your family. To believe that not only what you have, but what you have in Christ is enough. Yes. Even in reduced circumstances. When the pressure is on, what's our natural inclination? To try to solve it in our own energy. You cannot solve human problems, spiritual problems, in, with your own energy. You need the Lord to help you. And I believe every problem is really a spiritual problem. So you can't solve it in your own energy. You have to listen to what God, through his Holy Spirit, if you've been listening to doubters, or if you've been one of them, the criticizers, or those without faith and full of opinions, stop it. <laughs> Revive your hope and listen to the one who declares who you really are. Behind the name, there's so much more of what he's promised you. Verse 6 says, This same good news that came to you is going all out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere and changing lives, just as it has changed your lives from the day you heard of it and understood the truth all over the world. This is a faith beyond us. There's a faith that it's in us and between us, and it's a faith beyond us. Jesus believers are part of a movement. Sometimes I think people think of church as a stagnant thing. It's a place. It's where we, we hang out on Sunday or Wednesday. But church is a movement. It's the people of God moving forward to see the, the gracious goodness of God happen throughout the world. It might mean for you to be more involved in your community instead of thinking it's just about my faith with just me and Jesus. It might mean that this is time for you to actually open your mouth and declare who you are as a follower of Jesus in your environment. It's the faith that is beyond us. That can energize us. We align ourselves, and think about it this way, with what God is already doing in our neighborhood. God is at work in our city. If you don't live in UPs, working in your city. Your role isn't to be the main change agent there, like it's all up to me. He's already working. I would just say, open your eyes, reimagine your life, get in align what he's already doing, and you will find that you have a faith that is beyond you, that excites you. If you ever get bored, look for a faith that's beyond you, not just the one that's just between you and the Lord. It will excite you, will energize you. We call it the mission of Jesus that propels us forward. In verse 7, you learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he's helping you on your behalf. He has told us about your love and, and that the Holy Spirit has been given to you. That's how he concludes that prayer. The second prayer that he prays, or the second part of the prayer, is reimagining your life by knowing God more. He says this, we haven't stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then, the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while, you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. When I was a five-year-old, I had a five-year-old's understanding of who God was. Kind of a flannel graph idea, right? And I remember in Sunday school, I would ring a bell. 
because that was really cool if you could ring the bell in the preschool or whatever age I was. That was, that was my understanding. And then I, as I grew into, to be a, a younger person, um, I, I had a certain understanding of church, uh, uh, pardon me, but I thought it was, my parents' lives were boring. And I thought, this is boring. I don't want to do this. Let's go outside and play. Some of the kids might be thinking of that on a beautiful day like today. And as a teenager, I remember the youth pastor coming to me and, and talking to me. He says, well, what do you guys want to do? He asked the youth what they want to do. Well, we wanted massive loud speakers and lots of food. And, and it, we just wanted all the externals, right? We wanted the cool stuff. That was my understanding of a relationship with God. Well, I knew it was more than that. But eventually, as I shared last week, it had to become personal that he was real, that I could know him. My friends, Jesus, a relationship with Jesus is not an out there, out there relationship. It's an in-here relationship. Your default when life happens, the great default for you and I is to pray. I know my, we're wired to complain. We're wired to look at the externals. But our, the atmosphere that we can move into, it's, it's immediately present, is our relationship with Jesus is here and now. And it's not exclusive for those who are got it all together, for those who are professional prayers. It's for everyone. You, by faith, can move into a new realm with Jesus this week. That what the, the relationship you had with him last week can be more. You can know him more. There's more to who he is and what he wants to do. What happens when you do that? Well, I have encouraged all of us to consider what, um, what I introduced in the originally when I was talking about our soul. There's a guy I talked about. His name was Frank Laubach. And I remember I talked to you about practicing God's presence all the time. What I have found over these few weeks is that when I do that, when I'm constantly aware that he's immediately near, a couple things happen. First, anything that doesn't please God, that, in, that in hinders the overflow of him in my life, I starts to become aware of. Before, I was not even aware of this is hindering me. This constant presence of the Lord. The things that used to are things that, that like, oh, this is, I need to do this. This is the thing I'm immediately attracted to. And, and the Lord says, this is, this is not as important as being in relationship with who I am. And the second thing is that I realize that a greater relationship with Jesus is possible. That there actually is more in him. The last one I'd like to leave you with is this three parts of his prayer. So reimagine your life through God's power. And this is what he says. We pray also that you be strengthened with the glorious power, his glorious power, so you will have all the endurance and patience you need and may you be filled with joy. You know, to live in the presence of the Lord does take energy, but it's his energy. The strength comes from waiting in him and being with him. To be in God's presence means to wait. It doesn't mean passivity. It's an active waiting. It's believing that if I spend time with the Lord, that there's great, beautiful benefits in being in his presence. Maybe you've heard the saying, little prayer, little power. Some prayer, some power. Much prayer, much power. 
Where's the power and energy that I need to live my life to overcome these things? It could be that you don't need a secret saying. You don't need a new book or a new sermon. Perhaps you just need to be in his presence. Perhaps you just need elongated times to be in the Lord's presence. And then you will find all the power, all the strength that you need. I can tell when I start to go the other direction. Did you hear what Paul said? He said, I pray that God would strengthen you out of his power so you can have all the patience and endurance you need and be filled with joy. So the opposite is what happens when I start to fall off and not pray and be in his presence. The joy starts to fall off, right? And the patience with myself and other people and the constant endurance and faith starts to subside. But God promises in his strength and his power that you have more than enough for all you need. Lastly, I'd like to leave you with this scripture in verse 12 and 13. Always thanking God the Father, he has enabled us to share in his inheritance that belongs to his people who live in his light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. We have a great inheritance. It's like you all have a rich uncle that just died and he left you a great inheritance, a, a great inheritance that you cannot fathom. And Jesus promises an inheritance. And for someone to get the inheritance, someone has to usually die. Well, that's exactly what Jesus did. For you and I to be opened up into this realm that I'm talking about, Jesus had to die. He's the door to it. He's the opening. He's the place that we move into. Jesus came. He forgave our sins. He not only forgave us of our sins in our past, he gives us present power over any sin, any obstacle today. You have all the power you need. You have a great inheritance. A king, the king of kings, the lord of lords, who owns it all, you have more than enough. Feeling maybe your circumstances are a little reduced or you don't see the, where you'd like to be, he has more than enough. He has more than enough what you need. It might not be the, always the thing that you want, but it's the thing you need. There is a dark spiritual world out there. Paul reminds us of that. He reminds us that what happened in you when you accepted Jesus, this is different as day and, day and night. I would like you to pray with me and to believe that God wants to do something fresh in you. That God wants to do something new between you. And God wants us to do something that is even beyond us. Let's pray. Father God, you sent Jesus to this earth so we could have all we need. You came to give us a new identity that behind the name is all the riches, all the glory, everything that we need in you. Thank you for sending Jesus for our sin, but more so, Lord, to take away our sin, but more so, Lord, to give us a vast inheritance, to give us, Lord, a place that we can constantly live in the presence and the power and the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for that, Jesus. We take you in to our lives like we breathe in air. We take you in, Lord, like a fresh, uh, luscious feast prepared before us. In that relationship, Lord, we enter into new realms with you, new places that you're calling us to.